Let's do this. The Cult of Hockey podcast by the faithful and for the faithful. I'm David Staples of the Edmonton Journal, and I am here tonight with Bruce McCurdy. Hey, Bruce. Hey, David. How are you doing tonight? Good. Excellent. Another uh, great day to be alive. All right, Bruce. The Oilers now have one win in seven games. Uh, in the last two games, without their captain, Connor McDavid, they've looked considerably worse than, than they looked previously. They were kind of getting, it was kind of like you could make the argument before that they were kind of, it was kind of weird how they were losing. The grade A shots were fairly equal. The Oilers actually had a little bit of an edge. They just were getting beat. <laughs> it was hard to figure out how they were getting beat, honestly. The last two games, though, they've just been whipped. Um, tonight it was three to nothing. New York Rangers outskilled, outskated, outplayed the Edmonton Oilers. It wasn't close. Stuart Skinner held the Oilers in the game, kept it close for a while, but it it almost seemed inevitable. And uh, the Oilers just seemed lost. Um, well, not lost, just not nearly good enough. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah. So anyway. Uh, you were at the game. What was the mood like? I, at the I was at the game uh, t- tonight, David, and uh, enjoyed it as I always do NHL hockey. Uh, always a pleasure to go down to the local rink and see a Stanley Cup contender in action. Uh, the only bad part about that tonight is that the, that Stanley Cup contender is clearly New York Rangers, who played a fantastic game tonight. And all the analysis that I heard on the way home was basically 100% focused on the Oilers and all the phone-ins and stuff. And nobody mentioned the fact that New York Rangers are a hell of a team and they played a hell of a game tonight. So let's start with that. Uh, they absolutely tore Edmonton apart with cross-seam passes in this game. I was sitting directly, almost directly behind the net where Rangers scored all three of their second second period all three of their goals all three of the goals in the game in the second period were scored down in my end and all three of them came on brilliant passes right across the sheet sort of from one dot to the other and followed by a shot where Stuart Skinner is scrambling to get over there and just wasn't able to to get there and I mean the one that kind of came from the middle of the ice was uh, was the pass that uh, uh, went to the defenseman just as he was hitting the blue line. Again, a cross-ice pass and a, a brilliant one. It looked like there was a guy high in the zone kind of standing still. And instead, like, the passer found, um, uh, must have been Panarin, was it? Uh, yeah, I think it was Panarin. And it was, uh, no, it was actually uh, Jimmy Vesey. Oh, jeez. Uh, and, uh, yeah, fourth liner with a point, imagine. Uh, it's possible. So, the Oilers could take some inspiration from the Rangers from things like that. Uh, and he just caught him just perfect hitting the line. He walked into the slot and uh, uh, fired a perfect shot into the top corner. And the other ones were, like, from, like say, from one side right over to the other. But each of the three passes that set up the goals was easily 50 foot right on the tape. There was another one that set up a one-timer that, that dinged post, I think. I never saw in the rink a definitive replay, but I think that's the only way it could have stayed out. And the Rangers had the puck on a string, and they were so much better at passing. One of the things I see in person, David, is I see 
and focus less on the individual and I just see more of the team play. And the Rangers had just had better control of the puck. They were whipping it around better. And Edmonton's passing game was was off or it just isn't there. Like, you know, they just seemed hesitant or the puck would bounce on them or, you know, they would, uh, you know, make a wrong decision to, you know, when they did make a couple of passes, uh, you know, just didn't ever seem to amount to much. And sure, they did get a few uh, half-decent chances, but uh, even as um, Jonathan Quick was named first star of this game, I don't think he was the difference mm. in this game. I, I That's would, charitable to the oil. I That's would have picked. Charity. I would have picked Adam Fox as the first star of this game, and uh, and uh, I might the the Rangers three splendid defense pairs. I watched them go on the other way for the first and third period, and I was able to focus quite a bit on their defense pairs of uh, K. Andre Miller with Jacob Truba and Ryan Lindgren with Adam Fox. And then Eric Gustafson, former Edmonton Oilers draft pick that they never bothered to sign in the middle 2010s, uh, lining up with a very impressive uh, Braden Schneider, who had a fine game and a great shot to score the second goal. So, in fact, Rangers got their goals. The first two of their goals came from that defense core. And that six pack of defenders soundly outplayed their counterparts on Edmonton. There's seven counterparts on Edmonton tonight. This is our two good things, two bad things, and two numbers <laughs> podcast. Was that your good thing, Bruce, the Rangers then? Well, the Rangers, yeah, I, I wanted to make sure that somebody said it. The Rangers are a good team that played a real good game, so credit where due. Um, my good thing, I'm going to I'm going to give a little shout out for Stuart Skinner who sure. I thought had a pretty strong game. Uh, he made a terrific, like after a fairly, frankly, boring first period, uh, in the last minute of the first, or had some kind of breakdown that led to a wide open two-on-one for the Rangers. And again, they made the cross-seam pass, and Skinner had to come all the way over to make that save. And he had to move post-to-post a lot in this game. And he made a number of splendid. They couldn't keep them all out, but Jesus, pretty hard to. I mean, which one of the goals? The goals? Would you blame him on? Any? Yeah, I did. That chance that. in the. I I didn't. That chance in the. You know, well, some people might blame him, Bruce, on the second goal. Yeah, the mm-hmm. second goal, where because mm-hmm. um, it was from a far out shot, but he was. I actually think Brown may have picked that. The, no. the puck looked like it was, maybe you'll be able to check this. Yeah, it okay. looked like the, the puck started to flutter oh, and yeah. changed angles. And then Nurse screamed um, the goalie as well on that. So it was it was a uh, tough I, play. This is another thing. And it's not going to be my bad thing because there's plenty of bad things to choose from tonight. But I had a great view of that goal because it was basically coming right at me. The guy was just yeah. on a slight angle to the net and I was at a slight angle behind the net. And... Uh, Nurse was so completely in the shooting lane that he was essentially blocking the same lane as the goalie was, and he had the same holes as his goalie did. You know, if the shot beat Nurse, it was going to also beat Skinner, plus he wasn't going to see it, which is what happened. And then I saw a play in the third period where the Oilers had a, a clear shot, and here's a Ranger 
defenseman boxing out an oiler at the side of the crease and the ranger defenseman himself is out of the damn way so the goalie can see the shot and all he has to do is cover you know one side of the net because it isn't going in the other side because you know just completely covered with with players and let your goalie see the puck man i mean come on help him out so that yeah. yeah, that play at the end of the first period, Bruce, that came because, uh, this is going to surprise you, it was a two-on-one. Mm-hmm. And because yeah. Matias Ekholm tried to pinch and missed the puck. And it was a two-on-one, Bouchard, I mean, it was just a, they had, and there was hardly any back pressure on the two-on-one. They had all day to pass yeah. that puck. Loft, the p- perfect pass. You give mm-hmm. NHL players like five seconds down the ice without <laughs> any back pressure, they're going to make a nice play, and they sure did. And nice save by uh, by Skinner. Nurses uh, screen on the goal in the moment, and a huge and and I think even after the loss, which we didn't know at that moment, uh, a big confidence boost for Skinner to make a I big think, save in yeah. a big moment. And you know, I think we might see him next game. His best. Oh yeah. Nurses uh, mistake was just just one of six major mistakes on great shots this game. It's funny because he had some good moments in this game too mm-hmm. on the attack and he was trying to force things. He was working hard. Mm-hmm. Took He blocked a shot and hurt himself, but he was uh, he did make a lot of uh, major he mistakes on great shots. shots. So, um, yeah, I, I it was, uh, he, he, you know, he's one of the, the players putting in some effort. Um, I, mm-hmm. my, my best, I'll pick the best forward and the best defenseman since you picked the best goalie. I thought Kulak sure. was the best Oilers defenseman. And I thought, uh, which is good because he had been not playing well and they need Kulak. They need the Kulak of the second half of last year in the playoffs. They need mm-hmm. him to play well. He, he can be a key player for the team or a key trading piece for the team if it comes to that. And, uh, he, he was moving the puck well tonight. He, um, Made a nice uh, pinch for one to help on one grade A shot. He made a nice stretch pass on another uh, grade A shot. He rushed the puck up the ice himself, stopped behind the net, um, threw it in front, and Drysaddle almost scored. So, um, you know, he was he was out for one rush goal. They he and Nurse backed in too much, and they allowed a cross team pass. I think that was the third goal against. Yeah. Yeah. Um, they just, it was a weird play because there was four Oilers back and just three Rangers, but the Oilers kept backing in there. Um, I think one thing that's going on is that clearly they're struggling to figure out their defensive systems and concepts. And on the rush, it almost seems like they're, they're playing a zone on the rush. Like they're backing up, like they're starting to mm-hmm. get passive and go into that zone mode on the rush when really on the rush, I don't think that's. That's not when you play the zone. That's when you get on those guys and shut them down. Then you fall back into that. But it just seemed like there was a little passivity on the rush, both rushes actually, backing up too much and um, not taking on the attackers. But So that was the one mistake Kulak made, but he was otherwise very strong. And the best forward I thought was Warren Fogle, which is a fairly common story this He's year. Been, yeah, I named him as my good thing three different times already this season, which kind is of good weird. for Warren Fogel, but it's, it's generally yeah. not a good sign. So he um, <laughs> he got one five-alarm shot just by going harder than that and jamming at the puck. Mm-hmm. Then he won the puck in the corner and set up uh, Connor Brown, who also had his best game this year for a five-alarm mm-hmm. shot in the third. And then his best play... The game was kind of over then. It was over. It was seven seven minutes left in the third. But he just had this absolutely fierce back check where he won the puck. 
and he um, threw it at, towards the net and it bounced to Hyman, who had kind of a break-in chance and a really good chance to score. I mean, the game was over by then, but Fogel was still hustling. He's been hustling all year. He has been um, the, one of the positive stories for the Edmonton Oilers this year. And um, I'll go with that as my good thing. What is your what is your bad thing, Bruce? Uh, Brett Kulak, he played, I think, two shifts with Darnell Nurse, 46 seconds, the least he played with any other Oiler tonight. And during those 46 seconds, the Oilers were outscored 2-0. <laughs> creepers, creepers. So mark that down as a defense pairing that maybe we don't want to see going well, forward. Two they're, they're two lefties. So it was weird bad. that they were both out there, and it happened twice, and both times the puck went right in the net. Yeah. Weird. Well, Kulak was to blame on the first one. Uh, Nurse no. was partially to blame on on both. So, all right. Yeah. Yeah. My bad thing? Yeah. Um, I'm going to go with Ken Holland. I've been deliberating whether I'm going to do get into this yet or not. And it's maybe this is a bad time to be judging him in the sense that McDavid's out. The team's on a low point. But, man, he's painted himself into such a corner that he can't do anything, like anything. He, he's got he's got a roster right now with one injury, 20 guys. There's no room for, for benching guys or, or um, uh, strategically playing, arresting guys or, you know, bringing in particular players to play against particular teams. You're just stuck with the guys you got. But it's more they're stuck with the guys that they got forever. They're all locked up. And they got all these contracts, you know, every player on the ice has got, seemed like uh, that's that's not under a million bucks. It's <clears> making, <throat> it's locked up till 2025, 20, 26, 27, 29, you know, just, and he's painted himself into such a corner. There's just not much that he can do. And with the team in a, you know, in a spiral. And one of the things I wonder about the, the, uh, it's, they just seem to be a little bit stale. And one of the things that Glenn Sather used to do every summer was he'd go and make a trade or two trades or he'd pick some guy off a waiver wire or interleague draft or some darn thing. And he'd, you know, he'd come up with a, with a, uh, you know, a Craig Muni in the off season or he'd trade Ken Linsman for Mike Krushelniski or, or, uh, you know, find some way to bring on Mark Napier, you know, like half decent players that would come in and just, you know, just sort of blend. Uh, what was Charlie's word? Churn. There's no churn on this team. Like they got the same guys that they had last year. The only guys I got here that are new are Connor Brown coming off a major injury. who's was just struggling to find his own way. And Adam Ernie, a PTO is not exactly going to, you know, shift the tides. Right. It's, and and there's there's I mean there's chemistry but there's there's no spark right now. And Bruce, again, I, I mean that's McDavid, McDavid's absence is part of it. But I mean, what can Holland do? Like, what's he well, going to do tomorrow morning? He I, I disagree with you, Bruce. He can okay. do stuff. Okay. He, he's got that's a bunch right. of players he could trade. He could trade Ryan McLeod. He could trade mm-hmm. Dylan Holloway. He could trade sure. Brett Kulak or Cody Cece. He can trade Warren Fogle. He can trade um, Philip Broberg. He can trade Vincent DeHarnay. In fact, he had a trade, apparently, for Vincent DeHarnay. He could have got a, a center, uh, you know. 
Sam Lafferty apparently was was the you know that's the rumor. So I think, and this is what I said last last podcast. I think he should make a trade. I think he should look at those guys and make and move out one of them for a player that they need. And um, and I don't. It's not a trade for making the the um, in the name of making a trade. I think you need another forward. I think you need a forward um, who can make a difference, like Fogel's doing. You know, a third line forward with some with some skating ability, probably a center who can hustle. So maybe you trade Ryan McLeod, Bruce, and you bring in that center. Maybe you trade uh, and Kulak. Ryan McLeod's supposed to be that center. Where, where well, he, is he that is. guy? So, well, yeah. So you have to you have to make a call. Maybe maybe it's Broberg. Mm-hmm. Maybe you think this isn't going to work, and you trade him. Maybe it's Deharney. You think, ah, oh, it's, it's great to have this big guy, but really we've got six defensemen, and we have Nima Linen on the farm. Let, you, maybe they should have made the Lafferty trade. So I just think Ken Holland does have a number of moves he could make, and he's just he's hesitant to make them. He's waiting. He's patient. And he's but I think patient. I I think they should make one. I think they have the wrong balance on this team. And they need another. Um, they need another effective forward right now. Because I'm worried. Again, I'm worried that with Kane's game that he's, you know, he's just going to be what he is, which is a, a big hitter and a fierce player and an intimidator. But he's not going to be giving you the points that you need. So, um, and um, I don't know if they can trade for that uh, for a winger with some scoring. It's possible if you move Kulak or Cece. Like these are both good NHL defensemen. You should be able to get a good NHL forward back, someone of equal value. And uh, if you throw in a young, you know, if you throw in a forward, um, McLeod or Holloway, you could probably get a really good forward then. Uh, you know, it, it would have to be someone earning what their what their salary is. Well, what Kulak or Kulak Well, that's stuff. the problem now, isn't it? Like all the big salaries are the ones that are all locked up that I was talking about that are very difficult to trade, and especially so during the season when all the teams, other teams are got their cap structures already in place. Anyway, I, I'm, I felt tonight like I was watching a team that was growing old before my eyes. That's exactly what I felt, Bruce. That is exactly what I felt. And this is my worry that like Hyman, Nuge, Kane, Ekholm, yep. it's all, I just thought, you know, last year was this window, like they were all still at their peak and now can they, can they crank it up again? Cause players get old fast in the NHL. So it's still too early to, to say that way too right. early to say well, that. Yeah, of course. Like I say, that was but a feeling I, I had during this game. And I was thinking, you know, the, the hands aren't there and the hands are often the first thing to go before the legs for older players. And, you know, it just didn't seem like when the, when the, when the, moment came to a crisis point they couldn't execute they couldn't make that last pass or actually make a decent shot from the front of the net or well what? My, my bad thing bruce tonight is mm-hmm. Ekholm and nuge who i just thought okay nuge looks particularly lost in the zone he doesn't know what yeah, he's doing very tough night he does not know what he is doing he is like in the red light zone all the time and um you know, on the attack, is he digging in? Like, it's just like the playoffs. He didn't dig in. He he didn't, wasn't an effective player this last year in the playoffs. Um, so, he, Nuge has just got to crank it up and, and bring a level of intensity to his game that he has displayed in the past. And, you know, give it the old Davy Keon. Just go, 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 go with a, with a high amount of skill. And um, fight someone. 
hit someone. Do what Kane's doing. At least Kane's like trying to get involved. Kane Kane may have been Edmonton's best or most effective forward in this game. Well, at he made he a couple get, bonehead plays. Yeah, though. he got a dumb penalty, and he, you know, uh, he's but he Kane. hitting. But he's hitting. He's hitting with some ferocity. He took the puck hard to the net a couple of times. He took himself hard to the net and created a scrum yeah. on the edge of the crease, which I think was the only sign of uh, any such thing in this game. Uh, um, yeah. I, I, like, from a distance, he stood out as being a guy that was at least trying to be a difference maker. Yeah. Too many I don't of know why he's on the penalty vanilla. kill, but he's not, a, not good on the penalty kill. He allowed a couple shots. But, um, yeah, I agree. Like there was lots of good in his game. I only gave him a five because he, you know, that penalty was redonkulous. I mean, <laughs> what are you doing? Anyway, like it's gamesmanship that that went sour. That that will happen now and then. But yeah, Bruce, what you said, I agree. And and Ekholm is coming back from injury. Um, he's just off. I he mean, he's just not like making the guy plays. That was there last year. No, he's he's just. He's taken a big step back, but again, he's coming back from injury. I think he's going to round into form again. And, and, and same with Nuge and Hyman is Hyman's look good actually most of this year. So I don't feel like he's getting old before my eyes, but the, the team as a whole, yeah. but I agree with the shaking it up. And I said it last week and I think I said it be, the week before it's been on my mind. You have an extra defenseman, move him in a trade, bring in a, bring in someone who can help your team. And um, you, you've got, at the farm, you've got Gleason and Nima Linen, um, who I think are capable enough NHL defensemen if there's injuries, right? If there's, once you get down to the six, you've got other guys you can call up and will hold their own. You know, the forwards are just, the cupboard's bare. There was like, it seems like a like non-existent fourth line at this point. And um, they need, they need a four, like a third or fourth line player who can make a difference. So Bruce, what is your number? Yeah, my number is 20 minutes and 17 seconds. And uh, that is the most ice time of any Edmonton defenseman tonight. And that player is none other than Evan Bouchard, who reportedly, and in a headline I wrote today because I believed what I heard from the rink, had been demoted to the third pairing. And oh, all yeah. he wound up doing was leading the team in ice time. Of course, there would be score effects at play there with the Oilers trailing for basically two-thirds of the game. And I haven't looked closely at the period-by-period period, uh, distribution of said ice time, but uh, Bouchard actually responded with a pretty good game tonight. I thought he was all right. And, uh, uh, you know, he had, th- in that time, he had uh, three shots, six shot attempts to lead the defense, two takeaways to lead the defense, two block shots, and nothing sort of detrimental, like like giveaways or penalties or minuses. like. He was okay, and it wasn't like he was logging 18 minutes on the power play because there was a ton of power plays because there was barely any at all. He was getting even strength time and 17.44 at even strength. So uh, that number surprised me. I was interested to see it when I got home, and sure enough. Well, two Oilers, Bruce, kept – two Oilers defenders kept a clean sheet at even strength which I define as, you know, no major mistakes on a grade-A shot against at even strength. And those two defenders right. were Cody Ceci, mm-hmm. who's been who's been really solid all year. We're seeing the Cody mm-hmm. Ceci. This is what I talked about all last year. Like, the guy's injured. Um, everyone's down on me. Is he playing hurt? Let's see right. what he can do if he's healthy again. Yeah. Right now he's healthy, and he's, he's at least hanging in there. And yeah. um, Bouchard was the other. 
Bouchard mm-hmm. was sound on defense and good for Evan Bouchard. He can't, and again, he can be. We, we've seen him go long stretches um, where he's been pretty, you know, really solid on defense. We've also seen some pretty horrendous stretches, but um, yeah, he's he was he was good tonight, Bruce, and yeah. his stat sheet I guess reflects that. And the coaches thought that because they gave him all that. Yeah, yeah, I'm just looking at his partners, and he played seven minutes with Ekholm. Uh, he played five minutes with Kulak, with whom he started the game, and almost five minutes with Broberg. So he wound up playing with sort of equally split among three different left defensemen. So they they really were mixing mixing things up, I think, as things went along. Well, Broberg had a pretty nervous night. He didn't mm-hmm. look confident, which is an issue with with him. And if he doesn't get confident, uh, he's not going to make it just now with the Oilers. So he he did get a few shifts with Ekholm to start the game, but they quickly uh, went in another direction, which was the right call. Yeah, yeah. No, he didn't really stand out in this game at all. And when I'm looking at young. Young Schneider on New York Rangers, you know, being a very prominent player. Uh, uh, young Phil didn't uh, didn't stack up particularly. You know, he didn't shine. Let's put it that way. And, yeah. No, and Condry Miller is a good young defenseman. I mean, Broberg yeah. has all the tools still, but he's just. I just really think there's a. He's just got to make up his mind to go for it. Like he's he's not going to make it if he doesn't go for it. So he might as well. And just you know, forget everything else and just play hockey. Um, Bruce, my number is, um, the even strength plays leading to goals. So, um, there's, um, Cam Sharon developed a system of charting even strength plays. And he, he essentially has four types of, four types of plays that lead to goals and shots against right. the, the rush plays, face off plays, psycho plays, and four check plays. And I won't get into the definitions right now, but because um, I think everyone kind of has a conceptual understanding of those things just by mentioning them. But <clears throat> the owners have been pretty much even, Bruce, in all of those areas, face-off, grade-A shots, goals, uh, cycles, forechecks. And, um, you know, they've, they haven't, they've given as good as they've got. But on rush plays, Bruce, they have been eaten alive this year. And it's seen most dramatically in goals against. There was two goals on rush plays at even strength tonight. but so, And that means the so far this year, the Oilers have scored four goals at even strength on the rush, and they've given up 13. They have scored four goals. They've given up 13. I want to credit um, Sid at Oilers Nation for um, <laughs> doing this work. Yeah, um, that's quite the project they've got going on there. It's an excellent project. We, I did it last year against Vegas mm-hmm. and, um, um, you know, figuring out how the goals were being scored against the orders. And I think it's actually crucial work to do in terms of understanding the, the team at a team level. Yeah. And um, when I went over, the, when I reviewed all the five alarm shots and goals against the Oilers um, at even strength this year off the rush, it was often mental errors. Um, players being slow to react to someone breaking up the middle of the ice, just not seeing them and being slow to move their feet or making a bad decision on a pinch. Tonight, mm-hmm. um, we saw oh, Eklund's oh, bad decision it? on a pinch, but it didn't end up in a... Actually, it wasn't a bad decision. It was a good pinch, but he just went through them, and that happens sometimes. 
Um, he, he was, I thought he was going to win that pinch, but it just, he just didn't happen. The two other rush goals tonight were, were atypical um, goals against in that there wasn't brain, major brain farts on those plays where someone made a major kind of, you know, a bad read or anything. They just kept backing up on the rush and the other team took advantage of that with uh, a really super outside shot and then a, a cross seam pass that should never have happened if the Oilers defensemen were up on their players. So whatever it is, Bruce, this team cannot defend the rush right now. They are terrible at it. And um, and again, I think the biggest issue is read, their reads are off. They're not reading the play well. And on the rush, they're just not attacking. They're, this team with Connor McDavid, the greatest rush player in hockey, is not scoring goals on the rush. Four goals on the rush. Four goals on the rush. I'd make the case that McDavid was game game was off before he went out. I agree. Like even though the story is he got hurt and then he <clears> left, <throat> and they showed a play in Winnipeg. I mean, I saw a stat the other day where they they were doing cumulative game scores of all the players in the league, and it's uh, complex methodology that I won't get into here. But let's just say when Connor McDavid ranked seventy seventh in the in the among NHL forwards and game scores as MVP of the league, either your stat is terrible, uh, which this one isn't, and it's fairly widely uh, accessed after games, or your player, like Leon was sixth in the league at that time, and a Hyman, I think, was 18th. And, you know, like the other top order forwards were up in the, you know, in the upper echelon. And you'd expect McDavid to be in the top 10 comfortably, but... So there was just like I'm trying to think was has there been one game this year where he was sort of a dominant force and I don't think there has been so let's hope I mean he skated today uh, coach Woodcroft said it was a good day for him but they're going to see how he is tomorrow uh, there's this rumor that his family has come out for the Heritage Classic now that maybe they're just going to sit with him and uh, you know in the, in, the, in the box seats and commiserate. <laughs> yeah, and a question came up. Well, if uh, if uh, if McDavid's coming back from injury, you sure the game on the outdoor ice is the time to be doing it? Which is a and Woodcroft said, you know, I haven't even put any thought thought into it. But now that it is our next game, you know, we're we're our our next preparation is going to have to do with the, you know, the actual uh, location of the game, Commonwealth Stadium, as opposed to uh, uh, Rogers Place. Uh, that you know they'll have to be care- careful to think things through uh, on on matters like that. And, but uh, it's uh, you know they played five games with McDavid and two without him, and they got one win, and they've been 17 goals for 30 against. I mean it's pretty dire. Bruce. Um... <laughs> The conundrum. 17 to 30. We will go quickly to our conundrum. And it's almost like the same conundrum. The, the, uh, the, what can you possibly do to get out of this? And, and I just think narratively, you know, narratively, um, this is perfect. You know, before you have your greatest achievement, you got to go down. You got to really sink to the rock bottom. And every, you know, the moment, it's all, all, darkest all the darkest before the dawn. Exactly. Which is all the preseason, garbage, but... 
Yeah. Well, <laughs> sometimes it isn't. Sometimes it isn't. And the absolute, you have you know, a waxing gibbous moon that sets just before dawn. It gets a little bit darker then, just before the light comes up. Then, maybe. Otherwise, it's dark, darkest at local midnight. Oh yeah, I thought, forgot I was talking to an astronomer. <laughs> astronomer. I, um, I forgot what I was going to say. I, I I think that uh, I think I think that they can uh, I think they can uh, you know get down in the depths. Oh, here's what it was. The moment, like, of all the preseason hype, the moment that bothered, there was just one moment. Like, I, I think the players tune out, like, all the pundits, mm-hmm. like, everything ever now. Like, why would they listen to us? And why would they listen to the pundits and all that crap? Maybe they do if, you know, their media training should be, like, pay zero attention to it. Don't listen to the podcast. Don't listen to sports radio. Don't go on the internet. Don't read any of that crap. But the moment that it had me worried was there was some interview between Gretzky and McDavid. And Gretzky said to McDavid, you're going to win a Stanley Cup. You're too, you're too good. good a player not to win the Stanley Cup. And that moment, I just thought, oh, jinx. I just didn't like that moment because really good yeah. players sometimes don't win the Stanley Cup. And you need breaks. It's a 32-team league now. Yeah. This isn't like it, the six-team NHL. This is a not different like the 21-team NHL where 16 like teams make no, the playoffs. When you could hold on to good players forever, right? When you get when you get them and you and you could keep them, unless you wanted to sell them for money, which is a different story. But um, it just it just ah, and I just thought I don't like I don't want to hear that. It, it it doesn't necessarily have to be that. So I think the owners are maybe they're just paying the price for maybe riding a little too high and being a little too sure um, coming into this season. And it's a shock. This has got to be a terrible shock. But I think it is a shock. But Bruce, I also think this team is too damn good not to turn it around. And um, this is the same team that was the best team or the second best team in the second half of the NHL season. That if they had gotten by Vegas, probably would have won the Stanley Cup and gave Vegas a hell of a hell of a series. Um, this is a team that's done a coach since he took over the orders who's done exceptionally well. These people, these individuals, and this team has it in them to turn it around, and I think they're going to do it. Now, I don't know how far they're going to go or anything like that, but they're going to they're going to come out of this, and they're going to figure out how to play solid two-way hockey, and it's going to happen in the next month. It's going to have to happen relatively soon. I'm not sure I believe me, but that's what I'm saying. I mean, they're <laughs> already at the point, David, where if they play 600 mm-hmm. hockey the rest of the way, uh, they finished with 93 points, which is right on the playoff cut line, right? They need 90 points because they've only got three. To get to 93, they need 90 in the 75 games that are left. But how That's easy is 600 be- pace? Now, they should be able to play 600 hockey. We expect them to be easy. well over that all year. But I sure in the hell expect them to be above, what is it, they're at right now, two. <laughs> yeah. Two fourteen. Two fourteen. Yeah. All right, Bruce. Any final thought? Well, I got a I got a final here. number for you now. Jonathan okay. Quick. Old Jonathan Quick. He's now twenty five wins against Edmonton in his career with a six sixty seven points percentage, a two thirteen goals against average, and nine twenty two save percentage and four shutouts. Not bad, old guy, and he still has a few tricks up in. his sleeve. He even won a race to a puck tonight 
He came out to to clear one that came into Edmonton's zone. Not only did he win the race, he passed it up the ice, and then New York got a three-on-one out of it. So, and and my other final, final thought, which was irrelevant to uh, the outcome, was Edmonton won a video challenge at the end on the 4 nothing goal, and I think the reason they won it was that the linesman confessed to the referee that the goal would never have happened had he himself not gotten in the way of the Oilers' rush at the offensive blue line. And the puck went the other way and they scored. And there was a kind of a borderline kicking motion and the linesman's probably going, and they didn't deserve that goal. Call it, wave it off. So there you go. This is just my... My rent, it, it's, it seemed like at least it was just because it was sort of, Oilers had a promising rush and all of a sudden there's the lines and feet in the way. So, not much puck luck tonight either. Let's put it that way, but at least I got a, I got a call on that one. Yeah. All right, Bruce, thanks for talking tonight. Thanks for listening, everyone. I hope I eat my words on the, on the, on the aging of the team, but, uh, I, ho- I hope I get to eat those words. <laughs> I do too. Thanks, Bruce. And in the meantime, and in between times, this has been another edition of the Cult of Hockey podcast. <laughs>